My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is, is Animorphology. Animorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The An- The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Warning. The, the Decision. The Slow Departure. The Sick Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Conspiracy. The Revelation. The Deception. The Suspicious Existence. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. And the Beginning. Land of Laws. And we're back. Everworld 2, Land of Laws. It's a Christopher book. Yeah, it is. So whose favorite character is Christopher now? Wow, like, not me. He sucks (laughs) so hard. He dropped (laughs) six rankings and there's only five characters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will say I do not like Christopher I think there's maybe enough in here that Apple Grant is self-aware about his flaws. But <laughs> oh, I, I think so. But in addition, yeah. this book is very aimless and kind of... I started to get a little excited about reading the next book towards the end of this one, but mm-hmm. I, I was not a fan. Have any of you read Midnight Sun? Is that no, the, I I did have oh, it that, highly recommended to me by a bookseller. I'm pretty sure they were the being facetious. Twilight re- redo from so Edward's perspective. It's Twilight from that? Edward's perspective. There are perhaps three unique scenes from the original Twilight. Yet the book is nearly fifty percent longer because it's a <laughs> continual running inner monologue of Edward talking about, I'm terrible. She'll hate me if she knew the oh truth. Oh my God, give a shit. help herself because I'm so beautiful. <laughs> but I'm terrible. I'm the worst. Uh, Christopher's <laughs> After book a while, reads, you just want to agree. Yeah, Christopher's book reads very much like Midnight Sun. I'm scared, Ooh. but I'm funny. But I'm funny because I'm scared. <laughs> but I'm funny. But he's not funny. No. <laughs> There was one part where I laughed out loud and it was April's line. Yes. (laughs) Same. So we're going to have a lot to say about Christopher. Should we find out what happened in this book first? Yeah, give it a try, Ted. Tell us what happened. Oh, oh, I forgot I have to do this. Yeah, you do. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) I am going to go from my notes, which are vaguely chronological, and we'll just see how I do. This book picks up right where we left off, except we've switched points of view from David to Christopher. So as you'll recall, they were uh, with the Vikings sailing to fight the Aztecs and kill the Aztecs' fearsome blood god uh, with Thor's hammer, because that is able to, to wound the gods. If they kill the Aztec god and bring his head back to Loki, then they will get to worship Odin again, which is what all the Vikings are here for. So Christopher is not having a fun time being in a (laughs) battle. He reflects a lot on how foolish it is that he is doing this and how just like absolutely scared deep down to the pit of his stomach he is. He kind of gets wounded in the battle Uh, He's fighting. He's fighting with David. He's fighting with Jaleel. April's back on the boat with the women. And the Vikings are doing well because they have better weapons. But then the Aztec god shows up uh, and eats Olaf, the leader of the Vikings, who had the hammer. 
and the Vikings are like, oh no, what were we thinking? We can't fight a god. And they retreat. Notably, though, they are able to wound the Aztec god with Thor's hammer. So the plan would have worked if they had you know, better aim or a better strategy. Mm-hmm. So the, the Vikings are going to retreat. It's a rout. David and Christopher realize that if they retreat back to the boats, they'll just all get slaughtered. So they save the day by fulfilling their role as Viking minstrels and saying the battle hymn of the Vikings to get them back on board with doing some, some fight fight times, um, and then the the Vikings and the Aztecs fight again. Unfortunately, the Vikings still lose, and a hundred or so of them are captured, including the boys. They wake up inside the Aztec prison. They are very upset because they believe that the Aztecs are going to sacrifice and eat them. The Aztec temple is very gross. It is covered in blood. The Vikings refuse to help Christopher, David, and Jaleel uh, with any kind of conspiracy to escape. Sometimes they go to sleep. Christopher's like, man, I really wish I could stay in the 90s. You know, I love sitcoms. I love TV. I don't want to be in a TV show. I especially don't want to be in a story where I'm the sidekick character to David's big hero man. So I know I'm going to get killed off. So like, why don't we, why don't we figure out a way to stay here? You know, like maybe if we die in Everworld, we just come back here forever. That's, that'd be fine. But this attitude doesn't stop him from being absolutely terrified of being sacrificed to the Aztecs. So as they are going up, the boys realize they're going to have one great chance to escape. The defeated Viking warriors basically have a party thrown for them with food and drink and women at their disposal. And the boys are like, okay, well, the Vikings, no one's ever tried to escape from this before. So we'll be the first ones to do it. They are successful. They kill a couple of guards and run out into the streets. And who do they see but Senna, who they've been looking for? But she won't talk to them. She won't really acknowledge them. And she stays just ahead of them. David's convinced uh, she's leading them to safety. But instead, she leads them to an alley, a dead-end alley, and they get captured again. So then they're kept in under super secure lock and key until the next morning when they're going to be sacrificed. And the Vikings are all lined up in a row. They start killing the Vikings. Um, in the front of the line, tearing their hearts out. Blood is pouring down the temple steps. Christopher is terrified. And who do they see but April, who has snuck her way into the group of uh, temple maidens here witnessing the sacrifice. And she has also smuggled them some weapons, which she says that Senna helped her acquire. So the boys all uh, jump out of the line, grab April's weapons, and kind of fight their way to safety. And who shows up but the Aztec god himself, ready to eat them all. And the kids have just enough time to make a run for Thor's hammer. Christopher grabs it, gives a big heave-ho at the Aztec god, and destroys his groin. Just absolutely (laughs) obliterates it from the universe. And the god keels over, and all the Vikings are like, ha-ha, now we are a group of, you know maybe 50 Vikings here, (laughs) and we're not defeated by gods, so we're going to have a riot in the city. Um, And during this, uh, the four, our four heroes run away into the jungle. They wander around the jungle and uh, are lost and don't really have much to do. They run into the Koo Hatch, some of the aliens who have come to Everworld. The Koo Hatch, it turns out, are anthropomorphic letter C's and they have (laughs) incredible ability to transmute metal into super metal Um, and they have these really powerful weapons and they want to trade so they upgrade Jaleel's 
pocket knife to Super Steel in return for April's chemistry book, um, which they're very interested in. And they also learn that the Kuhatch were brought here from an alien world a hundred years ago and have been wandering around with no way to get home. And then this makes everyone feel very sad. So then David decides that he's going to run back to the city on his own. He has to find Senna, even though no one else is like that really that into finding Senna. So the rest of them catch up with David. They're back at the city. The city is empty because the Aztecs have gone to make war on a different Aztec city. Because uh, now that the Vikings are, are gone, um, they need new people to eat or something. So they go back into the temple to try and see maybe Senna is here. They don't find Senna, but they do find a really, really annoying guy who talks to them in riddles, answers some of their questions, is like, Senna is bad news. Stay away from her. And who is this guy? He's Merlin. And I cannot wait to hear what Gray <laughs> thinks of Merlin. So they decide to leave. Uh, they wander around the jungle some more. They, they're following, I think, the Aztecs, and they see a lit fire in the jungle. Who is at that lit fire but Senna? Uh, we have learned a little bit more of the Senna backstory. Apparently, the, the whammy theory is, is very strong that... Chris was kind of like brainwashed by her until David came to town and then basically Senna didn't give him the time of day. And so in this final encounter, Chris finds Senna and everyone else comes in and is like, Senna, you have to start giving us answers. And she's like, eh, do I really? Uh, and then they mentioned that they met Merlin and suddenly she's like, oh crap, um, that's really bad. And they're like, what do you mean? And she's like, no, 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 don't worry. David, you have to save me. And she runs up and touches him. And then she runs over to Christopher and is like, Christopher, you have to save me. And he's been like, ew, Senna, ew, Senna, no. And then as soon as she touches him, he's instantly like, ha yes, I'm going to be your savior, Senna. Uh, and then Merlin arrives again in the form of a dragon, or it's his pet dragon, we're not sure. And they're going to have to fight a dragon, the end. Senna has magic cooties. Yeah. Senna has magic cooties, that's a good way the to put it. The whole whammy thing was like, yeah, it was just a, just a hypothesis, but it's seeming pretty sure. There, I think we just need to start with this. There was, this book was, had a lot of sexism and a lot of racism. And there was a line pretty close to the beginning that was so racist. I lost my goddamn mind and had to put the book down and walk away. Like the main character actually makes a fried chicken and watermelon joke. And I was like, I'm sorry, what the just happened what is wrong with you and like yeah the book kind of is like oh man that was racist but like not enough not enough not enough to make up for saying that in the first place in a character who presumably is supposed to be vaguely sympathetic i was so appalled and it happens numerous times that was the most egregiously like straightforwardly mm-hmm. racist but he is just a very sexist and yeah. racist and homophobic person and sometimes that's called out and it's never called out strongly enough and I was so upset about it so upset about it and I just have to say one of the worst things about this book is the narrator is the narrator but like how much it's making me like Marco <laughs> how dare you that's perfect yeah i have a section in my notes called bigot watch yep which had a lot of content a lot the yeah so i i'm glad we're starting here because i i couldn't 
figure it out for the first half. But then like it happens enough that it's clear that Apple Grant wants Christopher to be a overtly sexist and racist character. Yeah. Wants that tension to be part of what's going on in the group and like doesn't want to resolve it or call it out a lot like directly and i don't understand i don't again i don't really have faith in like the execution here but like it's it's such a it's such a mind-boggling and clearly intentional choice to me i mean at first i was like oh do they just decide like racist was like an okay character trait for him to have and so this is them doing a racist kid but no i think they're trying to like they're have tr- him be a, like a messed up person. Right. They're yeah. trying to like give him complexity. Cause uh-huh. like there's the whole scene with his little brother who's like, you have a problem with black people. <laughs> yeah. They're right? clearly like, like they're... they are trying to call it out. And like Jaleel calls it out a bunch of times. Like they're trying to make it clear that like, oh, it's not that it's okay to say these things. Like Christopher is racist. And I guess in the idea of the nineties, like, you know, it, there was a supposition that like everyone knows racism is wrong. Um, but, which sadly is not something that we can take refuge in. Are they reality. equating it with like, like, are they saying that like 16 year olds are racist in the same way they were saying like 16 year olds drink? Okay. So in the first book, we had David being an extreme coward and then overcoming his cowardice by the end of the book. And there's no like parallel here that like Christopher is racist and the black character that he is quite often vocally racist against is the only one of the group that is like constantly calling him out for it. And that doesn't change. And like uh, Christopher never stops and like reflects on his actions by the end of the book. He's the same character on page one that he is on the final page. Yep. That's frustrating. So I do think in the first book, I don't think it's like David's a coward. Oh, he overcomes it. I think it's like David is deeply afraid and then... Mm-hmm kind of gets a complex about it. Like, I don't really think he overcomes anything. I think he's, like, really wrestling with a thing. Christopher isn't really wrestling with this. I do think, like... No, he has no self-awareness. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I'm trying to think, like, how is there a way... Like, sort of the philosophy of it, like, if you want to portray racism in a way that, like, is probably realistic like there are probably kids who are like really deeply racist in this way in the 90s in like Christopher's situation like it's not necessarily unrealistic it would be unrealistic I think if he realized by the end of the book like oops I'm racist I'm gonna like re-examine all my worldviews but like what is what is the correct way if there's a correct way like what is a valuable way to have a character have this probably realistic like worldview uh recognize the hurt you're causing apologize to the person you're constantly hurting and like catch yourself even though like this is clearly a habit for christopher like catch yourself before you say the things out loud okay so this is a series like i mean yeah that those are the things that he should do but like if you're portraying it you don't want to like resolve this because apparently they've decided this is like the thing that makes his character interesting which is like a whole separate problem maybe it's the same problem but it is a problem that there's nothing else that makes this character interesting I do think it would be too pat if like by the end of the book he's like oh yeah I can see now I am being racist and I will I will be fixed but like not not that he's like oh I'm seeing but like if he had even thought twice about any of his jokes before he said them out loud like even just once, I think that would have been some 
indication of progress. But there's, I mean, I don't know if they that's want to a, save that's, it that's for later an interesting in the series. Point. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, he's so unself-aware. Like, there's a moment uh, we reference when his brother calls him out, and he ends up basically trying to say, oh, it's fine, I know someone who's black. But the way he says it, it comes out <laughs> as a admission that he's sleeping with a man who is black. And so, like, he tries to frame it as, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in a sitcom joke. Now my brother thinks I'm sleeping with a man. But that, I feel like they wanted to try and do something with that scene. But I didn't like the sitcom scene much. We'll, like, get to that in a second. So, like, what I'm saying is I feel like that could have been some sort of catalyst-esque moment for him to think before he speaks later in the book. Even if it's not a complete attitude turnaround, just some thought, Christopher, instead of all this mouth diarrhea. Like, stop! Yeah, I do think part of this is a genre expectation. Mm -hmm. Because there are genres many of them, in which there are overtly racist characters. And depending on what message the author is trying to convey, those racists get a comeuppance, learn from their racism, befriend someone who is another race, or don't. And so then you can, you know, you get conflict out of that and resolution from that. And, you know, there are different messages about the world depending on what those things are. That's not the genre we're in. We're not in that genre. Yeah, young We're adult in YA a... fantasy. Yeah. And the message in men in, in much very excellent, especially contemporary YA fantasy, can be about dealing with otherness, learning from others, growing, you know, understanding more about yourself and your culture and where you're coming from, your biases and so on. Again, not what we're doing here. The Apple Grant is not creating a character whose major flaw is his racism. His racism is one of many flaws, many, many, <laughs> many flaws that he is occasionally aware of. At one point, he says something to the effect of, oh, this is this is just who I am. It's not a great personality trait, but it's just, you know, part of one of not one of my more attractive personality traits, to which my note was add it to the f-ing list, you jackass. But like <laughs> the thing is, that's, it's not a book that is going to. I suspect it's not a book series that is going to deal with his racism in a way that will allow him to learn, grow, and provide a lesson to the readers, which is, I think, mm-hmm. part of what Meg's point is, right? Like, sometimes you yeah. get these characters, they get to yeah. the they grow. And we kind of demand that out of, we demand that out of YA. We want that from YA. And I, that is not what yeah. this book is doing. I cannot see that being a significant part of where the book is going. Maybe they, you know, he and Jaleel will become friends and he will stop being such a dick. But, like, I am very frustrated by the presence of that as a strong character trait in a book that isn't about that. And I just don't think that Apple Grant is doing this well. And I am increasingly understanding of all of the people who read Animorphs started this and were like, nope, and just fucked off and didn't finish (laughs) reading the series. I'm trying to, I think, take off my 2020 glasses a little bit and try and think about like more about where they were coming from and I think the weird thing is so Christopher doesn't work to me at all as like a funny character just because there's genuinely like no humor coming from him as displayed but like I do wonder if like like thinking about the nine like stereotype based humor it was like a mainstay of what I understood humor to be growing up in the 90s right like and I was like it's not it's not fun it's we understand why it's not funny to make those jokes 20 years later 
in a way that we didn't understand in 1999, or at least I didn't understand and, and perhaps Apple Grant weren't thinking about. So like, I kind of feel like maybe they're trying to play into some kind of cultural stereotype of like, Christo- what makes Christopher funny is that he will make fun of women and black people, right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that they're going, reaching for and like kind of failing to execute on that obviously looks worse in hindsight. But the fact that they seem to be I feel like the book treats it seriously enough as a character flaw for Christopher that it's not just that, right? Like, and and then it's even weirder, like, it seems to be making this connection between, oh, he feels so bad about himself, he's lashing out at other people to hurt them. But I, I'm not actually sure, like, I feel like it doesn't come through in the text that he's either intentionally being cruel or being intentionally prejudiced against like Jaleel for being black or April for being a woman, right? Like, or that he's like clearly trying to be funny. Like, it's just like he does these things to cause conflict. But like, I don't really get a sense of like what Christopher really thinks about it. I feel like they're deliberately trying to create conflict within the group. Like this seems to be like a specific, like a deliberate goal of theirs. Like in Animorphs, occasionally you had a little bit of tension inside the group, but like they had this huge outside force they were fighting. Maybe they were, maybe they decided like one of the sources of conflict in this series is that, okay, you have these four kids who are in this new world where they have to survive. And one of their obstacles is that they don't get along very well with each other. And we want to show that as like a real source of conflict. And they, all of the kids have to be from, you know, this sort of local area because they all have this person in common. So, all right, we'll give them like a racial boundary. We'll give them, I don't know that there actually is a class boundary. Jaleel has, um, uh, several different terms that he uses for Christopher, which are like, I mean, completely justified. Like Christopher's being very racist towards him. Like reverse racism is not a thing. It is like, okay for Jaleel to use like insults for white people, but like they're also very classist mm-hmm. in a way. Like I wonder if they're aiming for something like that or maybe they're just blind to it. I'm not sure. But like, I I think they're, they are deliberately creating a group with rifts for yeah dramatic potential the well it's also interesting just another example to that point jaleel is like he's not like you're like the things you were saying are hurtful and he's not like i think you are a bigot he says stop being such a redneck as kind of this like catch-all dismissive thing that like doesn't really address what's happening between them yeah yeah and it's like it's not actual interpersonal conflict. Like it could be, mm. uh, we resent Christopher because he actually bullied David at school. Or we could have yeah, a rift. Between, that's a great point. We could have a rift between April and Christopher if my theory that she likes Christopher before Senna took him or whatever. Like they mm. could have actual character history. The way the Animorphs had like friendship yeah. tangential tying them together it would be interesting <laughs> if our kids actually had uh enemy history Ooh, i'm gonna call like it real history yeah but yeah. instead it's like there's superficial things about <laughs> your character traits of being racist and sexist that offend the people around you because they just don't see eye to eye on your racism and sexism and, <laughs> i guess here's uh, yeah Go ahead, Meg. Sorry, I didn't uh, mean to cut you off. No, I probably would have just kept ranting about how much I don't like this. So <laughs> your turn. No, so okay, I I want to I I didn't hate every moment of being in Christopher's head because one thing that Apple Grant does really well is like speak to these deep emotional truths that characters go through, and so like a lot of the stuff that he was feeling in terms of like fearing like he was going to die, 
like the the real intense like i hate being in the middle of this battle it's so uncertain that's all very compelling in a way that it was in animorphs Mm -hmm. right but like we're not i don't i would not want to get that side of him in that emotional intensity like the way he really feels about women or black people or something but like they're not doing that there right like it's like it's like it's like fluff it's not like he suddenly feels this hatred that he's grappling with of people who are different and it's not like he's like he's like i'm trying to be funny and they're not laughing at me why aren't they laughing when i'm being cruel to them like he doesn't feel that he just does these things that are like pretty inexcusable yeah it's it's funny this is kind of a side note but his uh his brother calls him Holmes I think and Christopher calls him out on it and for a second I was like oh that's so funny like Christopher's calling his brother out on cultural appropriation and then I was like oh no this is like two <laughs> layers deeper than that Christopher's just like don't pretend to be a black person this is something totally different than what's happening mm-hmm. Great. I just found my note about the personality thing. My note here is, what are your attractive personality traits? Three question marks. Exactly. I just want to complain about things. This is like actually about Christopher's personality and why he's uh-huh. bad besides his bigotry. There are a couple of things. And we haven't even really talked about the sexism, which also comes up a lot. Chris talks about how he he looks into the eyes of the Aztec god and can he knows just by looking at it that it's evil. Which, yeah. that is a particularly messed up thing to believe. Even about a murderous god. Well, it's in the context of, you know how sometimes you just look in someone's eyes and you can tell that they're evil? And I was like, no. Is this just one of those writing things where they're just making up this human experience to be like, <laughs> I could tell or, the way I could tell Elfingor was good. Like, also, does like, anyone I actually not, have that experience? I do not trust Christopher to accurately make that judgment mm-hmm. at all. That's right. a, maybe that is a character thing where they're like, haha, this isn't a thing that happens to real people. Or like, this isn't a thing that can really, you can really tell. It's just a thing Christopher thinks you can tell. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was just like, what a ridiculous thing to say. And then I did appreciate this as a moment of weakness, sort of. But when he sees April, his first instinct is to give her up and say, she's one of us. And like, say, like, you should sacrifice her too. And then he's like, no, I won't do that because I need to die a man. So (laughs) should we should we jump in and start going chronologically through the book now that we're talking about the sacrifice scene? bit because i have a little bit of a beef at the very beginning and it's christopher seems to know a lot more about everworld and how it works than they told us in the first book oh yeah i noticed that too the exposition was not clearly established in book one yeah and he's like here are all these facts here are the norsemen the greeks the aztecs the inca and the egyptian panoply are here and i'm like i don't know if we mentioned all of those in the first book and he says, they built Inca. themselves a space-time oh, yeah. condo, a separate universe. They brought all the creatures of myth with them and, like, all of the humans. And then it says, more gods are coming, but not human gods. And they have crashed the party. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, I was like, yes. how do you, yeah. And the fact that Ka'anor is a god-eating god, that was never established in the Where first book. Yeah, we don't know that at all. Yeah. Mm-mm. Maybe he's been talking to Vikings uh, outside of David's hearing. Maybe that's it. The, I will say the one thing about that is the, um, the, the the first two chapters are structured very much like Animorphs, where mm-hmm. it's like, now mm-hmm. have a little bit mm-hmm. of adventure, and then some exposition as a treat <laughs> in chapter two. Let us explain where we are, what we're doing. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Has no timeline. Where did he learn all this stuff from? But I did appreciate the parallelism. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you want to talk about the sexism instead of the racism for a while? That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to bring up. So let's see. What do we know about Senna? A B-plus face and an A-plus body. Assuming you're not one of those guys looking for eight pounds of silicone, which is, of course, those guys are sexist and terrible. But I'm a great guy who describes a woman, her primary characteristics are a B-plus face and an A-plus body. Uh, and yep. then before that, when Men he's when he's is, it's awful. when he's on the battlefield and he's like wondering where April is, she had a pass. She was a girl. She had a uterus, so she didn't have to fight. Couldn't. Not according to the Vikings. Are we sure it's just the Vikings, Christopher? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I feel like that was a little bit like. I mean, it's all part of, like, Christopher's, like, fairly annoying internal monologue. But, like, that was a little bit, like, calling out the ridiculous, like, gender roles of, I don't know. But, okay. Which is also, like, somewhat unrealistic because didn't the Vikings have female warriors? They yes, did. they did. Yeah. And, yes. Jenny, you mentioned several times in the last episode that, oh, I think all of these different cultures we meet are going to be sexist in the exact same way that our culture yeah. <laughs> is sexist and lo and behold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, yeah, the whole thing, and this is, I think, I, I'm not a historian, but I, I really don't believe this idea of, like, before the Aztec victims are killed, they are <laughs> given the gift of women to enjoy as they see fit, and all mm-hmm. of the women are, like, super into it. And, like, in, like, a, how does he describe it? Like, it's, like, a Cinemax, like, late-night Cinemax or something. <laughs> like That is exactly how he describes it. Yeah, it's, like, it's, again, it's this, like, boy's fantasy of history of like mm-hmm. oh you know just because it's like extreme in all of these ways that i think are like this like dumb male fantasy like it's just real it's like that's what it was like at the time you uh-huh. know it's definitely not like there's nothing there's no accurate. there's no history here right yeah, this is yeah. just this is just like i don't know and it, also you know you have like a hundred like men that you're sending to their deaths like are you assuming all of them are straight? Like, maybe this culture knows that some men like to sleep with men. Lots of cultures knew that. Why well, is it only women? Jaleel knows that if you get naked in front of a bunch of Vikings, they're probably going to rape you, like in a prison. Hey, That's I would like point. to real fast jump in here, because that moment especially uh, made me think of this YouTube channel called um, Pop Culture Detective. And Pop Culture Detective is a series of video essays that dissect... Uh, how tropes in media are harmful to men and boys specifically. And it's fantastic. But he recently focused on and completed two, like a two-part video essay about how the sexual assault of men is always played for laughs in pop culture. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. prison jokes are like the number one example. And it's just nasty and it's bad. Not the video essay. Sorry. I mean the actual use of the joke Mm. in this book. (laughs) Please, everyone, go check out Pop Culture Detectives. Amazing work. Yeah. There was some stuff in here that, like, when Christopher's like, I just want to be able to tell my mom I love her and tell my dad he's my hero. And I was like, I don't even think this is supposed to, like, this isn't like Christopher is such a sexist character. This is just the book being sexist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can tell your mom that you love her, but your dad, you aren't allowed to have that kind of feeling. You just have to say how much you honor him. Yeah. 
It also, the book also leans real hard into some female stereotypes that I don't mm-hmm. love. Like his mom, his mom. Like his mm-hmm. mom's a high-powered lawyer and she works real hard so she doesn't have time to be nice to him. But he still loves her and he wants his mommy. It's like, all right, fine. And then we get the like, Senna is very much the like ice princess who can like manipulate men yeah. stereotype, which is... A, you know a trope and then with april you get the like we talked about this last week like the, the the good old girl who just wants to hang out and who by the way definitely has had sex as they point out in this book and it's like i'm not really sure that we can lean so hard into these stereotypes when instead we could give them you know personalities when he was talking about april and senna it reminded me a lot of the cool girl monologue from Gone Girl, mm. where she's like, I'm not like the other girls. I'm a cool yeah. girl. Right. I think I'm up for seeing where this goes, but oh, I yeah. I have a lot riding in terms of my personal stake on how April, in the characters, and how April sees herself among yeah. this group of guys. Because mm-hmm. David and Christopher are like such boys, and their issues are like like so un- they have this like so unquestionably like 16 year old boy view of the world like if april is like different enough from that that would be awesome but if april is like i never really get along with other girls and i just i like to hang out with the guys and like you know <laughs> like you hate all of these boys april you don't like hanging out with the guys <laughs> yeah i will be very upset if yeah. that happens yeah and like the thing is i'm i like the theory that she had a thing for christopher or whatever but like if the only reason she doesn't like santa is because santa took a boy from her yeah. again like not enough plenty of reasons not to like Santa. i'm actually really intrigued by their backstory there was a thing where april references like something that santa used to do when they were kids and i was like oh my gosh imagine growing up with santa she was probably terrorized yeah. like there could be some really well i hope i hope it's there. not just that she uses the whammy power for um like to get men to love her but like if if you imagine having a sister who could just get your parents to listen yeah. to like always take your yeah, side or whatever really right uh-huh. like yeah. not in like I'd a, like to call out the trope which is usually the sexism of the whammy power that these siren-esque characters there's a particular episode mm. of Agents of Shield that really did this poorly um where Lady Sif shows up chasing down a siren-esque character because this woman uh-huh. um seduced Thor how dare and it hurts Sif's feelings I oversimplified it, but like, <laughs> I feel that, you know, because at the end when the dragon is coming and Senna's tagging all the boys and saying, protect me, I wish that maybe she had like whammied April to be like, you're my sister. Don't you care about family? Protect yeah. me too. Yeah. But and she was going for Jaleel third, it's right? Such like, a not terrible, even. It's such a terrible like metaphor of like, yes, this is what women do to men. They mm-hmm. use their wiles. And they, like, get them to do stuff that they would never want to do of their own free will. And, of course, in this case, it's actual wiles. But, like, it's like we talked about with some of the alien uh, races in, um, or species or whatever, in, in Animorphs, where, like, they take a, a thing that would be problematic if you said it about, like, humans or, like, normal, like, non-magical people. But, like, in this case, it's, like, sci-fi or it's fantasy, so it's, like, actually really the thing. So does that make it okay? Like, no, because you chose that metaphor. You're a writer. You made that up. Mm -hmm. I also, like, April and Senna, I think I said this last time, but, like, they are such, like, it is becoming so clear that Apple Grant doesn't know how to write women except in pairs. Mm -hmm. Like, they can only write, like, pairs of extremes. Like, if you have two women who are not absolute opposites on some extreme spectrum, like... 
Rachel and Cassie are like aggressive and like pacifist and, and fashion like, and like casual. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and somehow they're best friends. And Senna and April are like ice queen and like fiery red hair, like friendly, big smile girl. Well, he he like, actually just... mentions that April's like the spring. So like Senna <laughs> is the winter and April's <laughs> so the spring. Just like our name. Where's our summer and autumn Do girl? Come on. Calling it out. Like we can't, we get it. <laughs> they're, because they're just worried that if there are two women who are not complete polar opposites, they will not feel like distinct characters. Neither of them are like other girls. <laughs> Every other girl is in the middle and they're at the opposite ends. Okay, so despite I, I don't want to undermine anyone what was just said, but I the fact that April gets to be the one like everyone comes like oh Senna yay and April is like oh Senna I'm gonna slap you like <laughs> mm-hmm. we're not idiots we know what you're up to I'm so on her side narratively it's like yeah. it was still incredibly satisfying even yeah. though it's even though it's Although kind it's of also an annoying. eye thing it's also annoying because it's like oh women can do violence to other women because it doesn't count because they're not capable of real violence like, mm. oh, like if point. any of the boys yeah. had slapped yeah. Senna, we would have been like, whoa. And But like April can do it because like, oh, it's like a cat fight. Like, oh, girls like aren't really ever physically scary. Yeah. April, I did enjoy that April gets to be the like sort of leader. Like they don't have a leader and like that becomes clear. But like April sort of gets to be like the buck stops with me. It's again, again, it's like a little bit. But also in the kind of like nannying them. She's like, you guys are going to kill each other for no reason because of your dumb Only girls are reasonable. I was kind of so tired of the book already that the scene also really grated on my (laughs) nerves. And if it had showed up earlier, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But she she feels very movie Hermione to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Who movie Hermione doesn't have any of book Hermione's like insecurities, flaws, or even like ignorances. And they take all of Ron's best moments from the books and they give it to movie Hermione to make Ron seem even worse by comparison. And that was a lot like this to me in this scene where April's like, listen up, boys. Oh my gosh. I just had like this violent memory of when David's like, the way she said boys, though. And then he's like, April, will you speak oh, to me about yeah. that? Oh, yeah. sorry. Christopher. <laughs> he's like, but it was kind of hot. Ugh, I'm like, oh, no. And then he asks oh if she'll spank him. Yeah. So he which, like even undercuts April's big moment of being like, listen up everyone and then david's like sexism's funny let's cut the tension with that and it's like no i'm sorry Chris. what do you guys think about april's greek wrestling joke from her her perspective (laughs) i didn't i think she's entitled (laughs) is the joke that we're gonna get naked is that fun is that what's funny yeah no no the joke is that like if they're gonna fight at least they're gonna do it naked um, so she at least can enjoy right. like the view of men wrestling naked. No, no, no I, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think she was going I to be naked. She was just going to get to observe. I, yeah, my sense of humor died halfway through this book. I, I hope it comes back someday. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I mean, okay, maybe we'll get to the Greeks in the next book. There is uh, so much homophobia in this oh book, and like moments of negatively viewed homoeroticism are one of these characters going to be like secretly queer and putting up a front or I hope not only because no. it will be handled so poorly i hate that trope so much <laughs> right so jaleel jaleel is not susceptible to the whammy we're gonna find oh. out because he's gay but well he's... I mean, that's gonna be that's gonna be my terrible prediction okay why did jaleel show up on the beach 
uh, at the beginning. I am actually I interested. Wanna yeah. I still want to know. Uh, again, did Senna choose all of them individually? Uh, much like we mentioned in the last episode, I care about April and I care about Jaleel. Yeah. And I'm so excited we have an April book next. I am dreading the next Christopher book so hard. <laughs> I don't want to read it. So it's interesting. It. Like, I mean, Christopher <laughs> is so racist and sexist and it was terrible. But like, I found his narrative voice less annoying than David's. Like, I something about like David's constant, like wondering whether he was being the hero just like really bothered me in a way that like I yeah. found Christopher's voice like primarily neutral that's i that's that's true and my favorite parts of this book were when christopher was making fun of david <laughs> See, he really does not like either david or jaleel and his descriptions of them were probably accurate but real mean <laughs> i actually liked david's book it was probably a better book yeah insecure jerk with hero fixation because yeah. i felt like david's book was a really good starting point for a character arc um, mm-hmm, that like, mm-hmm. okay, I can see that David's like really struggling with these issues and I am interested to see how David grows. I'm not interested to see how Christopher grows yeah. because he's either going to improve at all. on what I hate or he's just going to go off in another direction and we're going to pretend his other flaws never existed because he will do something really brave or really good and we'll just forgive him <laughs> for these horrible things he said because he's an, he's actually a really nice guy, you know? nice guy yeah i feel like um the thing where david had david had his thing where he's like what if i'm a coward i don't want to be a coward i want to be a hero and christopher's thing seems to be oh no what if i'm a sidekick i don't want to be a sidekick life works exactly like the movies and you're like buddy (laughs) when you said it once i was like oh okay a fun like you know lens to put on the situation but this seems to be an actual thing that's haunting him i'm like this is the weirdest like character psychology to have as his like so galaxy quest yeah it's such a weird thing to focus so much on yeah all of the crazy shit you're going through (laughs) but like the thing you're hyper focused on is that you're the best friend in this adventure story which by the way no you're not because then you would have to be a friend (laughs) but you're not and like his thing with and then he goes on this extended rant with Jaleel that's like oh I'm the don't David's gonna survive and we're both gonna die because I'm the best friend and you're the black guy and I was like what what is you are not a you're not his friend you're definitely not his best friend so that trope is out don't worry about it you're if anything the like villain no one gives a shit and two, why can't Jaleel be the best? He friend? is oh, the best friend. You're not like, what? Well, I hate you so much. Technically, yeah, Jaleel <laughs> is the best friend that David has. I mean, he's That's not. True, it's unclear why they're not but great friends. But uh, he's better than not, nothing against Jaleel. Yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, they actually they are very bad. Like I feel like Jaleel. Well, like Jaleel and David were never supposed to be like amazing friends. Like they kind of just hung out. So I was going to say, they they do tend to have, like, Apple Grant tends to have a lot of friendships where you're like, these two people are friends. And you're like, I don't see friendship. Are they, are they just Can two the people who occur in the Will same scenes to together? <laughs> um, there's one line that Christopher has in his narration that I'm like, was this self-referential? But it says, 90% of the trouble in this world comes from guys who think they have something to prove. And I'm like, so accurate. And you calling yourself out? What is happening? You are 90% of the trouble in this book. 
Ugh. Maybe his character thing will be that he comes to understand what a terrible person he is, but he can't make himself become a good person because that's just not who he is. And he has to keep living. So he just has to be haunted by the knowledge that he's terrible. <laughs> I think there's more to say about how Christopher is terrible. <laughs> um, but do we want to... <laughs> Do you want to talk about Take anything else? anything else? We've spent a whole hour yelling about how much we hate Christopher <laughs> in this book. You know what I want to know? The Aztecs, like, they kill their sacrifices. Their god is full. Everyone leaves the city to get more sacrifices? Like, actually, the entire population leaves? That doesn't make any sense. No. That's not how you go to war. Well, what is this? Can we take a step back and just talk about the aimless plot in this book? Yes. Right, because yes. you have you have the whole like fight, capture, escape thing, but then they wander out in the jungle. They don't have anything to do. Yeah. They have some like misadventures. They go back to the city where conveniently there is no one there to yeah. oppose them. So they run. They have another like weird encounter. End up wandering back out into the jungle with no purpose and have a third like random encounter. The, like, second half of the book is completely aimless, and it's, like, the worst part of those... I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a trope in fantasy stories that it's, like, oh, you're, the characters are out in the wilderness wandering around. It's, like, the Lord of the Rings, we're on a big walk type thing, right? <laughs> but, like, you gotta have more than that, right? Like, there's it's so pointless. Yeah, I feel like they just lost track of their plotting. They're like, and then they walk away. Oh, no, how would they get anywhere else? Oh, I guess they'll have to wander for a while. It's like, no, you could have just had something else happen. Like, they just because it's realistic that they would do this doesn't mean that's where you have to take the plot. Why can't we know whether they are stuck in Everworld forever or whether they have to get a MacGuffin to escape, right? Like, it would be so much more interesting if they had a had a goal oh, and weren't yeah. just like, oh, you know, we're just, just trying to survive. our time. Um, there's a scene in the TV show Gallivant where all this stuff is happening to all these different characters and like all these different groups of characters. Um, and there's a scene where, you know, one or two people from each of these group all happen to be wandering in a place called the Forest of Convenience. And <laughs> they all run into each other and someone's like, oh, hello, stranger. What are you doing? And it's like, I'm looking for this character and this character. What? We just met them. They went this way. Oh, I'm never going to be able to get there without a horse. And someone says, I'm selling a horse. I don't have any money. That's okay. I just need used men's shoes size seven. I'm a size seven. And it's just, it's a bit that goes on for a while. But it kind of reminded me of like, we don't have good enough weapons. We're going to meet these. Although I did find the aliens they met interesting but we're just gonna yeah, meet yeah. them for a bit in the woods and the trade's gonna go off without a hitch and now we have a super pocket knife i don't know i i did i did like that part because i mean it brought them this sort of existential dread of like mm-hmm. these people have been trapped in everworld for a hundred years and also they wanted weapons and all they got was like a super pocket knife which is hilarious <laughs> and like, I'm sure will be very useful, but, like, also they're like, yeah, let's get these, like, cool steel spinning, like, throwing discs. And the aliens are like, hi, you would die. Have this pocket knife. But also... That was, like, I thought that was a good sequence. Yeah. I do think that they, like, they despaired a little too easily being like, they were stuck in Everworld for a hundred years because our characters are clearly still tied to the main world. 
We don't know Ooh, how. And yeah. no one else that they've run into has the same sort of real world or RW, as Christopher would say, <laughs> connection. Um, That's a good point. I want to get Jaleel's book so bad. Jaleel, please give me some <laughs> good cognizant thought and connections, please. I know I really want to read the next two because I'm like, these are the characters that I like. Maybe it'll be good. So can we can we dive in on the coup hats sure. for a bit? Yeah, sure. I love them. They're they're six foot tall letter C's. Like think of like a cartoon letter C I'm you would see on Sesame, Sesame Street, Street yes. with four arms, needle faces, and they they saunter like Groucho Marx. <laughs> like what, Apple Grant, amazing aliens. Like, I was not <laughs> expecting more aliens in Everworld. In fact, I kind of wish they weren't around <laughs> in terms of, like, the premise is a little busy. But these particular aliens are amazing. I love them so much. Also, these are, like, the either adult or, like, one form of the Kuhatch because they're also little, like, pixie oh, versions, right. too, that have firefly bellies. Do Wait, does one of the Kuhatch have a name? Did we get one name? Or did we no, get no names? So. I don't think we got no. Oh, but don't worry. They have the same gender roles because April and one of the Kuhatch go off for girl talk. No, no, no. I'm going to give that one a pass on the like the world's part because that's Christopher's assumption. Because he's like a female Kuhatch. One can assume they went off for girl talk. Uh, like, fair, April fair. was just talking to one of the Kuhatch. Like, it's we, just about how Christopher is terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them has a name. His name is Esther. Uh, and when we, when we first met them, they mentioned they were of the third forging. Um, and at first I thought it was like third generation, but they wow. mentioned that there's only like seven groups of them in the whole like world of Evermore. Uh, so are they like group three of seven or are they just like generation three? I, I hope we run into the coup hatch again. I think it's probably like wide, wider than generations. Like okay. the third, maybe it's like the third huge like development in how forging works. Or maybe their world is like mm-hmm. somehow a steel world and gets like reforged every once in a while. Because mm-hmm. they're the ones who are super good at steel, which yeah. was awesome. Although I felt like they tipped their hat really early by saying, this is Excalibur. And I'm like, oh, great. King Arthur's next. <laughs> <laughs> good point. I, yeah. I am... Excited to find out what the Koo Hatch do with the chemistry book. Yeah, like you know that's gonna come back. Like they, like the kids say, like there's like explosives and stuff in that. Like and uh, yeah, they do point out like, do we want the Koo Hatch walking around like being able to explode things? The world is already dangerous enough, and so I bet there's gonna be some uh, some explosions. I want to talk a little bit about how they portray the Aztec culture because mm. he, uh, Christopher will go off on a whole paragraph about how terrible they are and how backwards they are and how violent they are. And he'll like make this okay by usually at the end of it just mentioning, and I guess the Vikings were pretty bad too, if you think about it. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't excuse like the super broad brush you're using. And I, you know, we had the same complaints with the Vikings last time about how, oh my gosh, it's like you guys said, this is boys view of history and it was this gruesome and it was this bloody and the whole city is completely in on it. And I just didn't didn't like it. So the Vikings, we do know, like, we don't focus on their, like, they do go off to assassinate the god of another nation. But it's an honorable Um, But it's portrayed as like, but they need to because they need to rescue Odin. And we get to see them, like, 
being scary, but like, yeah, we see them like feasting and they get much, we see um, Thorolf and his wife, like they get much more humanized. And the Aztecs, we don't meet any like individual Aztec Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. We don't see any part of their life except for like these women who are like sleeping with the people who are about to be killed or like the priests. Um, who are about to kill them, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they'll do a much better job with some of the other non-white cultures. But so far, we've gotten a deep dive on a white culture and a very unflattering skimming the surface on a non-European like We had a culture. deep dive on a white culture that is cool and not racist now because they intermarry. But this Aztec <laughs> oh, culture, right. oh no, they're a homogeny. I would like to read that line. Okay. Please remember Mm. that this is from the internal narration of a very racist asshole character. He says Uh about these, uh, the priests, Aztec priests, their faces were blackened. Not black black, because unlike the Vikings, who had evidently welcomed all races to their happy little Looney Tunes world, the Aztecs were all identically copper-skinned and black-haired. Just you just that's my whole conclusion on that passage like what are you, first of all looney tunes were all okay and also we talked last week about the fact that it's a little bit odd that despite all of these different cultures from throughout earth's history being intermingled in everworld for at least a hundred years they have yet not managed to actually create any kind of trade really we see a little bit of trade between the vikings and the kuhatch for example but like the aztecs have not helped vikings with their building technology for example yeah, they haven't traded them. any like knowledge it seems right. like they, yeah they traded foodstuffs that's it so jaleel could point out they wouldn't have this food that's right. a new world yeah yeah so they got food but they didn't get how to put bricks into house form but like also <laughs> yeah. there's no intermarriage between these different peoples across the world and we're gonna call that out in a way that makes it seem like it's bad that the Aztecs haven't welcomed all people although what people were they gonna welcome if everyone is isolated in these like groups the Vikings are over here and the Aztec are over Mm -hmm. here and then sometimes they have war like it doesn't make sense as a paragraph and it is particularly annoying coming from someone who's like being all judgy about them after having made a joke about fried chicken and watermelon recently. Yeah, the Vikings feel like 90s, like a 90s America, like this vision of like, we are colorblind. The power Oh, but we have this European culture. Our culture hasn't changed in generations, but we don't care about race. This um, complete separation of race and culture. And like that is, I mean, the Vikings aren't like held up as like the pinnacle of all civilization, but like it is treated much more sympathetically than the idea of this sort of closed off other race that hasn't embraced colorblindness. The other comparison that gets made is David uh, refers to the Aztecs as Nazis without the tanks, which is another great example. refers to them as not, uh, didn't like it. Didn't like it. But it's, I think it's a really good example of this like historical shorthand for like, oh, we're writing off the Aztecs as <laughs> evil because all Nazi means in this situation is like nothing historically specific, but just like, well, anyone in that identity group has no value, right? Like it's just absolutely bottom of the barrel person, right? Which is like, yeah, I'm know. so surprised that we didn't do like have more of an understanding of the Aztecs. Like, it seems like they're very hungry. They they need food. It's not unrealistic that they would want to eat these people who are attacking them. And like the Vikings, historically, 
have done a lot of pillaging. They also came to assassinate this culture's god. Like, the the Vikings are not any better. And, like, the idea that, like, every single person in this city is complicit in what their priests do, like... Or what their god really, does. Yeah, that's not, really, that's not really how a culture works. And, like, like... What are they supposed to do? Just leave? How I was wishing that there would be a history of personal animosity between the kids... I wish there was more of a personal history between our group of Vikings and this group of Aztecs. Like you mentioned that the Vikings pillaged. Maybe this city could have been starving because our Vikings stole all their food. And that's why they have like turnaround that would have been in the second half. Yeah. Why didn't they escape from the like temple and end up with some Aztecs and then get like their story? That's what this book should have been. Because we learned jungle for half the book. We learned and uh, were sympathetic with multiple named Viking characters who were all brutally murdered by the Aztecs at the start of this book. Sorry, well, murdered by their sarcastic air quotes, God of War. But yeah, by Olaf, by Sven, by like all these other people, why couldn't we have spent time with named Aztec characters instead of meeting, uh, I mean, the Kuhatch were amazing, but like you said, the second half of this book is pretty meandering. They had space to do this. They just didn't do it. Would have been nice. I bet we're going to get a very deep dive on Britain's mythology. King Arthur stuff. King Arthur, like I bet we're going to meet some real classy humans, you know, like real civilized (laughs) people that are from King Arthur's court. It just it makes me very unhappy for lots of reasons. I'm just going to, this is such a minor point, it doesn't matter at all. Feel free to cut this. But also, if you're gonna talk about the Aztecs and the Aztecs' god of war, I need you to do just a little bit more research. Not a lot. We've learned many things since 1990. But just a little bit. For example, again, such a minor point. Huitzilopochtli is the god of war, carries a serpent and what they describe as a round disc. And then in the middle of battle, what he does is throws this disc as though it is some kind of boomerang or co-hatch-style, you know, flicking blade. Yes. When actually, it's a goddamn shield. The snake is the weapon. The s- <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not, like it's just they hadn't even seen Captain America thing, but when he threw the shield and not the snake I was like why like why it, do- it doesn't even make sense as like a weird we don't understand the mythology it's like a we looked at this and we decided it would be way cooler if he could throw this thing and have it come back to him like Mjolnir does and it's like but they saw one the picture. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole, he got, he has the serpent and it's supposed to look like a spear and it's cool. Okay. He technically, he technically used the snake as a shield because it blocked Mjolnir <laughs> on the snake. totally It's very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple moments of like tent poles of research where it was like a fact they learned or knew. But the actual tent covering connecting them all, I feel, was highly incorrect. (laughs) Like, oh, I bet, from reading this book, I bet the Aztecs had extensive public baths. And they're like, we're not going to have time to let our characters visit one of these. Uh, Put it in the dungeon. They probably, like, want their sacrifices (laughs) clean. Or, like, the stuff about the feast, I 
I bet, and again, I haven't done any research either, so I'm no better than the <laughs> Apple Grants, but I feel that this extravagant feast before you're sacrificed may have been something that voluntary sacrifices were offered. So if you said, hey, mm. I'll do it, then they'll be like, great, have a final party before you know we take you up the steps. And I know, because this is the one fact that stuck with me in sixth grade social studies, that the steps were steep to allow blood to drip down. Or so my public school textbook told me. (laughs) But that was a fact that was in this book as well. So I feel like they had facts that were (laughs) very basic and probably misapplied throughout the mythology. I hope that an expert in Aztec mythology listens to this episode and sends us a comment with like all of the stuff that Apple Grant missed. Can I tell you one other just very cool thing about this god that I think is neat? Yeah. So uh, god of war and sacrifice, also the sun god. And the warriors who died in battle were sacred to him. He, you know, did get sacrifices, we think, whatever. But the other category of people that were sacred to this god were women who died in childbirth. Oh, So he's accompanied by warriors who fell in battle and women who fell in childbirth which is a really interesting cultural insight, I feel. Yeah, a great connection to make there. Like Christopher would talk about that with any kind of nuance. (laughs) Fair. It just, I thought it was neat. Hey, it's time for me to plug something else. Uh, There's this new show on (laughs) Crunchyroll that just started called Onyx Equinox, and it starts primarily in uh, the Mayan culture, but it is a high fantasy series that's set in Mesoamerica that is going to look at multiple cultures across kind of like that time and space. Neat. It's animated. It's beautiful. The showrunner, Sophia Alexander, is incredible. She's from Mexico and like based this off of a lot of the legends and stuff that she learned and loved growing up. So if you want to see a more authentic and entertaining take on (laughs) this sort of area of the world, check out Onyx Equinox on Crunchyroll. Thank you. All right. That sounds awesome. I have a theory now about the snake that got you know, team rocketed off into space and was never heard from again. So this, the Aztec god, whose name I can never pronounce unless I just heard Grey say it. <laughs> Pretty much. Has a snake weapon. And and Loki has an evil snake son. So I think we're going to get snake versus snake. Snake versus snake. I love adult it. Adult son's battle later in <laughs> the, uh, later in the series. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. The reason I, I wanted to call the snake thing out, and this is another thing, Ted, you shouldn't feel free to cut, but um, y'all know what I wrote my uh, undergraduate thesis on? Was it mythological snakes? No. Earth goddesses and dragons slash snakes in cultures around the world and the connection between Whoa. the two of them. And uh, so I, I I got very excited that the two snakes showed up. Um, so I, I sort of brushed over this a little bit earlier, but like the stuff, the stuff, the super high-pitched emotion and the kind of like violence turned up to 11 like apple Grant does that stuff really well uh i feel like when christopher gets injured in the first chapter and reaches up and is grossed out by touching his own skull oh, that yeah. i found a particularly good awful awful detail mm-hmm. both in terms of like the physicality of it and then like actually imagining what that it would be like to do so like that kind of thing i thought was really good yeah. oh and then he kept Kept when they were walking through the jungle, he kept having to touch the cut to make sure nothing had crawled into it because it was itching. Yeah, that Ooh. was a good detail. Um, I did. Really, I loved it. I could tell. Despite the 
poor shield boomerang usage. <laughs> I actually really liked the man versus god mm. moment where the Vikings stand up to him and Olaf, he has the hammer, and then Olaf eventually gets eaten. It was very Elfangor versus Visser 3. Very much so. And, like, and, you know, I didn't particularly care about Olaf, but, like, I appreciated that we got to know some Vikings by name so that I could care a little bit when yeah, they got yeah. killed in this in this one chapter. Like, I thought, I thought that bit was Ian good. the heart out was just very, like, gory in, in a way I wasn't quite expecting. Yeah. Gray, how did you feel about Merlin? Uh, I got very excited when he showed up. I was like, hell yeah, Merlin! I was so excited that I kind of predicted that. Um, but also, uh, I spent a lot of time reading Arthurian legends because I'm a nerd, and I just am looking forward to seeing how how he gets built out as a character, um, because that is mm-hmm. going to be very entertaining to me. I do appreciate when Merlin gets to be like a grumpy old man, because sometimes he mm. just is like magical and stuff, and sometimes uh, he gets to be like, "Oh yeah, I can't believe I have to deal with these non-magical morons." Like <laughs> another warrior. Like I, have I to said, take care she's of. not here, and I I do appreciate that. So. Wait, you enjoyed reading about Merlin? Well, I wasn't. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> no, I was going to say to me, he's a total Elmist. He just says, like, mystical puzzling stuff to them with, like, a twinkle in his eye and, like, bounds away being like, I'm Merlin! LOL. <laughs> I thought, I thought, you, would, that, that I thought you would hate Ice him. So I'm intrigued head. by... I hadn't realized that. Now I hate him. Damn it. He's the, <laughs> <laughs> He's the Merlimist. <laughs> All right, well... <laughs> the Merlimus! I was excited for a second, now I hate it. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> when Christopher sees this, uh, sees this guy, he instantly compares him to a very smart, respectable white man that he knows. His, his Uncle George, <laughs> an English professor at U of I. And it's like, I can tell from looking at this man, he's intelligent. Just the way he could it's tell from looking yeah. at the, the god of the Aztecs. The god that, that he was, he was evil. evil, yeah. It's like he's such a genius. He can tell just by looking at someone whether or not they're white. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this was making me think back to when we met Visser 3. He actually created an emotional Mm, effect. He projected fear. He made you afraid. He made you like feel his presence because he's like constantly broadcasting on low level thought speak like i am a threat do not approach me and (laughs) the way they described that emotionally when it happened was much more effective and i felt they tried to do something along the same lines when the aztec god showed up and it just didn't work i wrote down he's like this or three yeah um i have um a couple of metaphors i liked uh, mm-hmm. Ooh, let's hear so, them. Just because, in part because they were deeply bizarre, and I appreciate that style of humor. <laughs> uh, at one point, uh, he describes Everworld as Asgard slash Olympus slash Boca Raton. And um, that's not funny, <laughs> but like the image of this being a divine retirement community, I did find a little bit funny. And then when they're in the feast uh, before the sacrifice, he, um, Christopher describes 
himself, David and Jaleel, as a trio of missionaries who had stumbled into Caligula's New Year's Eve party, which is such a bizarre metaphor. Like, also, how, why would there be missionaries? Why would there be missionaries? Why would Caligula be throwing a New Year's Eve party? What, how do you know what that would look like? What teenager reading this knows who Caligula is enough to get that joke? Like, it was such a fucking weird <laughs> metaphor, and I loved it. I also really liked some of the um, young adults swearing in this. Mm. They uh, got faced again. They, yeah, but th- at one oh. point, um, he, I forget if he's saying it to David or Julio, but he gets really, he gets really angry. And then he, I said something like, forget you, only more intense. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of like CeeLo Green. That's, yeah, yeah. There was also uh, at one point they do, uh, Jaleel says, let's haul, which I got very excited about. Yeah. Um, they do say BS and damn, but they avoid saying the F word as I do not, which I think is very funny. Like where, oh, also he's, he mentions where he can stick Mjolnir. Oh, yeah. But of course it. doesn't actually say in the text where that is. So the one thing that I did laugh at after like this whole this whole book, Christopher, the funny guy, going on, did not laugh at anything he said in the book until chapter chapter twenty nine starts with Merlin. I said, of course, why not Merlin? That's the question. Why not the Keebler elves? Why not the Lucky Charms guy? Magically delicious. April squinted at me. That's not his name. You know that, right? His name is not magically delicious. <laughs> April got my laugh. Uh, yeah. April was very funny. April is actually funny. She says <laughs> jokes with structure, with setup and punchline. She doesn't just say shocking things and hope that people find them funny because they're shocking and taboo. You guys, what if that's the thing? Christopher isn't actually even funny at all. No, he's not. But like, he he somehow has an identity as the funny guy. Oh, no, wait. He actually is supposed to be funny because David said in the first book that like he gets the whole class laughing all the time. Okay, never mind. That's not a Medicare thing. Laughing at him. <laughs> but like, it's it's more like uh, Christopher is a very popular jock. So if he points mm. and says laugh, his high school sycophants there will of course go. laugh. You know, Christopher says mm. laugh. They say how loud, my king. And but like he's not. <laughs> I thought he was going to be a jock too, and then he sucks at basketball, and the coach is like, "Yeah, you're not even doing." You're not even helping on the court. Get out of here. Oh, that's because he was, like, distracted by coming oh, back from Everworld. That reminds me, that was actually uh, another part in this book that I really liked. That chapter, the basketball chapter, starts from the perspective of real-world Chris. And it's not until the second paragraph that he gets the flood of Everworld memories. And I absolutely love the, like, the perspective of, like, well, here I am just playing basketball, <laughs> going about my business. Oh, God, I'm dying. Like... <laughs> That, that, it does that part seem of it like is very compelling to me. Separate yeah. people. Yeah. Like their personality keeps getting split and then like re It'll be really interesting to see if there's if they do anything with that as like an existential personality split. Mm-hmm. Um, can somebody mm-hmm. explain yeah. a joke to me? If it's Please, well, if Christopher it? says it, then it's not actually a joke. Then no. So, <laughs> April says it, which is okay. why I feel like I think I think I think I know what the joke is, but I'm not 100 percent sure. So someone can explain it to me. Okay. Um, this is when they're trying to figure out what happened to her. This priest shows up. He asked me if I was a virgin. Christopher responds, "Naturally, you lied," which I think was supposed to be a joke. And then she says, "I said absolutely. I'm even a vegetarian." Is the joke that virgin is like vegan? 
No, it's that she's never had no. needs of any <laughs> kind. Okay. Yep. Now I got it. Thank you. All right. That is not a good joke. But I do think it's funny that they had sex. People had sex. There, there's this weird divide in, like, portrayal of teenagers where, like, the Animorphs, like, sometimes they kiss. And, like, Jake that's as far as it goes. And, like, sometimes. that's... <laughs> it's so cute. Um, and, like, it's, like, very clear that, like, these kids are not having sex. Like, even though they're, like, 16 by the time the books end, like, not a completely unreasonable idea that they would have sex in their, like, Harkvajir Valley of We're About to Die. But, like, that's not even on the table. And then you get, like, I mean, April is maybe 17, maybe 16. I don't know. And they don't really question this culture of, like, okay, but obviously you've had sex already. Mm-hmm. Which, like, is not true of, like, many, many 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Wasn't true of me. Like, this, like, sort of, it, like, flips over and then all of a sudden, like, yes, everyone has had sex. And, like, it's unclear if April actually has, but... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if... If she hasn't, and yeah. it's like it's like the guys the guys keep putting it on her. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I, your point is is really good. The other thing is, I think this is an Apple Grant problem. I think they were very good at middle grade uh-huh. where they didn't really have to think about it or address it at all. You could just take it yeah. as read that it wasn't happening. And I imagine that they would actually be fine at adult stuff, but they're actually <laughs> really bad at writing teenagers because these jokes don't make any sense. They're trying to make sex jokes that are like weird and not funny, but also super uncomfortable. Like Christopher makes a sex joke to his dad, which I remember being 16 and no, he didn't. <laughs> Definitely did not do that. Not a thing. Like, I just think that they're maybe like a little too parenty to write good teenagers. Hmm, where they're trying to be cool about like, look, we, you know, we, we drink and kids have, do they know about drugs? And they sometimes have sex and they go out driving and pick up prostitutes maybe. But like, we don't really know about it enough to like be cool. They're yeah. just very grown ups. Well, and yeah, Christopher's like TV fandom <laughs> is not that of a 90s team either, right? Like so he's true. into like 70s stuff. There's another Fuji's reference in this book, yes. right? Like <laughs> yeah. it, I laughed very hard. It's very much that like parents, parents, tr- it's like Steve Buscemi being like, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> That's exactly what I pictured. Also, I'd like to point out an internal logic inconsistency where when Christopher's uh, talking about the Aztecs and he's saying that, oh, they didn't let anybody different in because they all look the same. They have the same skin and the same hair. And then when April's like, apparently red hair and green eyes is mysterious and desirable. So they decided to make me a temple virgin. Yeah, I wondered about yeah, that. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I wonder if it's just like, no one's wanted to, I don't know, like if there's a different story why no one's joined the Aztecs. Because like, we don't get anything about the Aztecs, so there's no way to know. But you're right, they probably just weren't, you know, it was probably just a consistency problem. Continuity, well, that's the word. It's also that none of the people that they encounter in Everworld act like real people or intelligent, rational actors in any way, right? Like the Vikings and the Aztecs are both kind of like simple cartoons and they're like primitive civilizations and primitive cultures means that like these 90s kids who are so cynical and genre savvy can always get the advantage over them, right? Like, which seems to be kind of built into the premise in a, in a, yeah disappointing way but like maybe we will eventually meet a neverworld resident who uh-huh. acts normally i bet it's merlin seems to be Arthur one guys. even though yeah maybe maybe 
I, no, but, yes, or, the, or it'll be like Lancelot is like, he's so honorable that it's really easy to fool him. And it's like, I'd buy that. Why That's would, weird. no, but like, but why would, a, you know, a 30 year old man who just met a bunch of strange kids in the woods, trust them, right? Like <laughs> under no circumstances, he would like, it's yeah. ridiculous, right? One of the things that I was noticing about the battle at the beginning of this book, I was like, oh, they have to figure out like one of their challenges in writing this is how did these four kids manage to be instrumental in these situations? And so they have this thing where the three of them are like, wait, we can stop and inspire the Vikings by singing that song we made up for them. And like, I was like, oh, wow, they were really struggling to figure out like, how can like our protagonists be useful in this battle of the masses? It's like how Wonder Woman manages to like end World War One situations where a superhero would not necessarily be useful or like where being a protagonist would not necessarily be useful. But because the Vikings are an undifferentiated, you know, mass of not quite humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These kids have initiative and therefore can do stuff. Can we talk about some some 90s stuff and some oh, TV yeah. references I didn't get? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite 90s reference was in the the same party with the Caligula's New Year's party. Um, just before that, Christopher says, all around us was a TV evangelist's mm-hmm. vision of hell, gluttony, drunkenness, and more different types of wanton behavior than you see on Cinemax mm-hmm. late at night. And somehow to me, this like really twigged me as like a, this is... This is like a very 90s view of like morality and like the fact that like late night Cinemax is like the reference for like skeevy stuff. It's very pre-internet. Yeah. It felt very of its time. My favorite was when Jalil is like, okay, it's not the Middle Ages. It's not even the 60s. Are we going to believe that magic is real? <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. <laughs> Are you saying they believed in magic in the 60s? I mean, maybe in the 60s, everyone was on like a bunch of drugs. Maybe that's what he's saying. I don't know. When was the song Do You Believe in Magic written? <laughs> I think that was the 60s, okay. actually. Do you believe Love in magic? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, also, Christopher says, I am H-O out loud. Yes. And then in dialogue. Oh, I am. Uh, I liked the moment where they're like, are we going to be like a frozen culture too, talking about our favorite websites? there was a reference to tinky winky as the gay teletubby very 90s um there's also this is a not a specifically 90s reference but i remember this being a thing in the 90s he says uh one minute we're being chased by murderous trolls the next i'm uh, groaning about homework and checking out visible panty lines i just really remember being in middle school and high school and having visible panty lines being a thing that like with a capital T that you had to worry about in a way that I feel possibly at least maybe that's still true for teenagers, but like for adults, it's like <laughs> give a shit, stop looking at my butt. Like I just thought that was a really funny, like, all oh, right, I, I remember being that age and caring about that. <laughs> I don't anymore. Um, would you guys like to help me understand what all of these references oh, yeah. to TV are? Yeah. yeah. So good. I love MASH. I love MASH. Oh good. You know things. So this is the TV that is in Christopher's DNA. Yes. Frasier and Seinfeld and Friends, MASH and Mary Tyler Moore, and especially the great, the incomparable Dick Van Dyke show. True. This stuff is the map to my brain, the foundation of my thinking. Maybe this explains a lot. He doesn't have any (laughs) thoughts of his own. He just took in sitcoms. Talk to me, Niles. Toss off that snobbish line and Frasier will take that Jack Benny reaction shot that milks laughs out of thin air. 
Okay, what TV show is that That's Frasier. This good, paragraph good, okay. was yeah. too Talk- long, and it was the same <laughs> statement five times in a row, just <laughs> yeah. swapping out the character names. This was too long. Talk to me, Tim and the Tool Man. Show me that tired, satisfying formula. Ha <laughs> ha, too much power. Better talk to Wilson about okay, it. Okay, that's Home, home improvement, improvement, which he didn't list I've never in his seen list that, of shows. But, yeah. but who is Tim and the Tool Man? It's Tim the Tool Man. Tim is the Tool Whoa, Man. There isn't oh, a no. secondary thank you, thank you. character that's the Tool <laughs> Man. Ugh. Phoebe, Monica, Chandler, could you be more funny? Well done. That's friends. friends. <laughs> Talk to me, Rob and Laura. Make me laugh. Make me laugh at all the jokes I've heard and seen a million times before. That's the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, okay. Great. Master of your domain. No idea. This one's Seinfeld. It's from the contest. Oh, okay, okay. When they're uh, trying to have a masturbation contest and they can't say the word masturbation on TV. Fact. <laughs> I have never seen an episode of Seinfeld. I've seen all of these other TV shows, but I haven't seen Seinfeld. Oh, all right. Then you can help me yeah. with this one, which was the first one I had no clue on. I hate spunk. No idea. Um, I'm going to do a quick Google. Yeah. I don't think it's going to help me. <laughs> Good luck uh, Okay. Oh, it's the Mary Tyler Moore Show, season one, episode one, I Hate Spunk. That's the Ed Asner line. Whoa. Okay. That's the Ed Asner said, line. He, it's like, what does he, he says, mean? He's, he's talking to Mary, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, and he says, you got spunk. I hate spunk. <clears throat> oh, I you see. Know what? This makes more sense. You got spunk. Bunk, and then the audience laughs and laughs, and then she goes, "Well, thank you." And then he goes, "I hate spunk," and she just stares at him with like doe-eyed expression, and the audience laughs and laughs and laughs. Sounds familiar. Then there's a line from "I Love Lucy." I'm not going to do the accent. Thank you. Okay, that's then, the, what. What is that accent? It's so people bad. who speak Spanish can pronounce L's. That's that's not R and L confusion is not a like a Spanish language speaker thing. I'm so annoyed. Yeah. And then there's Oh Rob. It's uh, that's, is that that's Dick Van Dyke. Oh Rob. It's her whining when he does. <laughs> thank, something thank you. Thank you. Um, mm. And then Jenny, do you want to do the next line? So no one told you life was gonna be this way. <laughs> so you did the wrong number of claps, though. Yes, no, but he writes wrote the wrong five. number of claps. It's only four <laughs> claps. It's only four <laughs> claps. <laughs> I love that we all clap, 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 clap. You know, I do feel like this explain. Like, maybe I'm not giving this like this passage enough credit for explaining his personality because if he's absorbing all of his like gender and racial dynamics from old sitcoms, this explains so much. He is Ross from Friends. <gasps> oh no! Yeah. No, he's not. Because Ross doesn't think he's funny. Ross thinks he's like, but the good, like, upstanding boy next door who deserves to get what he but wants. But didn't people used to think Ross was funny? Yeah. No, Chandler's the funny one. No, not but like, well, they're all funny. Everybody in, laughs at everything. They're all say. funny, it's right? Well, funny. well, I mean, yes, they're in the sitcom. They're all, but like, I can't watch. Funny Ross. isn't part me... of all of their oh, ideas. It's like wait, the worst cringe. She's have, watching Ross do anything. I have something better. He believes he is Chandler, but he's actually mm. Ross. Yes, there That's you go. Take. There you go. And it's a take that Chris would understand and be <laughs> devastated by. <laughs> and then last question about the TV thing. Does Mary Tyler Moore look like Courtney Cox? They're brunettes. Yeah. So I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> They're both hair, very thin brunette. brunettes. White brunettes, yeah. And they have oh, the- big hair sometimes in, in, in this shape. 
So I can see okay. why uh, Chris, who has all the delicate distinction of a grade scale from A to F when it comes to faces, he probably, they have the same grade and therefore he equates them as having the same face. I buy that. Yeah, yeah they're not like completely Grade face. <laughs> grade face. Other. The Christopher like... love story. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, no, there's something about the smile that's, like, a little similar. I could see it. But, no, he, yeah, he is uh, very, he describes the women at the um, Aztec pre-killing orgy as uh, Courtney Cox skinny. I'd forgotten that she which, was uh, that skinny. Yeah. But she totally was. Oh, yeah. That reminded me. There was, I, uh, this book, these books are two for two and um, <laughs> subtle boner illusions. I'm now on boner alert. I'm going to be keeping everyone apprised. <laughs> I really apprised. appreciate this. I, I miss the um, boner alert When here. he, Chris picks up naturally, because of course Chris does, two of the women who are like draped all over him with hands reaching here and there with pleasurable effect. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're correct. Um, until he, rem- I think the only reason he is uncomfortable with the situation is because he believes the women are excited to eat him later. Yes, that is accurate. There's also so that yes, kills his boner. A joke that he, the joke that he says to his dad is that the dad says this lettuce is going limp, and Chris responds, kind of like you, huh? And I was like. <laughs> That's not a thing that ever happened with a 16-year-old. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I feel 100% of his taste in TV comes from watching TV with his parents. Mm. And so Ooh, since yeah. he can, I feel, really only communicate through his weird sense of humor, uh, he can only speak like what he believes a sitcom character says. So this is the exact kind of roast uh-huh. that sitcom ca- like. Yeah, that's the exact kind of line or roast that these two sort of characters would give each other. I will admit... I did get one laugh out of this book and it was at the end of this conversation where his dad's like, you seem like you've been really down, uh, you know, like your dog's been run over. Christopher's like, I don't have a dog. And it's like, well, it's a, you know, a metaphorical dog, but you know, what's, what's getting you down? He's like, oh, nothing, dad, just this heroin addiction. <laughs> I did laugh about that because that seemed like the, the fatalistic sort of mash humor that I enjoy, but that was it. Mm. Mm. You know, that is actually the idea that he's always performing a role as someone in a sitcom does maybe help explain some of the things where we're like, he never gets into like actually hating black people. He really is playing a role. Like that's he that's how he thinks one is a funny person in the world. I think that you were right when you were, uh, Ted, when you were talking about like, maybe. this is what humor was know. in the 90s. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, his little brother is like, you have a problem with black people, too, right? Well, like, no, I mean, clearly, I mean, it's not that yeah. he's not racist. Yeah. But it's also, it's it's not like he's saying this out of some really deep-seated, like, it's not like his primary motivation is hatred of black people. I, I he agree just, with like, you, His but primary he, motivation is to be a funny person, and he somehow thinks... As we said before, he can tell by looking whether or not a person <laughs> is white, right? You made that point very yeah, well. Yes, very gifted. I'm going to talk about a couple of Chicago moments. I have a list now of Chicago references that made me so happy. Mostly gray. I want to know if you have opinions on hot dog toppings. Yes, I do. Uh, Christopher, for all of the bad things that I can and will say about him, (laughs) does correctly list what goes on hot dog. Because a hot dog, you need need a kosher dog, but then what you put on it is the works, as he points out, mustard, onion, chopped tomato, dill pickle, hot peppers, celery, salt. David asks, no ketchup, which means he is not from Chicago, because Chicago people do not put ketchup <laughs> on hot dog. 
You put all those other Well, things. he's new in school. Ridiculous. Heathen, as Christopher points out, you do not put ketchup on a hot dog. Mustard, onion, tomato, pickle, peppers, celery, salt. That is how you have a hot dog. Marshall, uh, when we go to Chicago, I, I usually don't eat meat, but I make an exception once a year when we visit my family to have a Chicago-style hot dog because I love them so much. Oh. And the first time we went to visit my family at Marshall, I was like, you have to have one of these. And he usually also doesn't eat processed meat. He was like, okay, but I'm not sure I want to like waste my like meat of the year on this. (laughs) And I was like, no, it's very important to like understanding where I grew up, you have a Chicago style hot dog (laughs) and you have to get it with the works. Like, you know, I don't, I don't get onions on mine, but you have to get the works. And he was like, okay, very gamely. And then it showed up and he unwrapped it and went, why is there a salad on my hot dog? (laughs) (laughs) I died laughing. It's very funny. And now he always teases me about how the weird thing about Chicago is they put salads on their hot dogs because it is, it's like pickle, (laughs) onion, ketchup, um, pickle, onion, uh, peppers, like hot peppers, relish. Oh, did he like it? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Did not enjoy the experience. But but he understands your culture now. At least he's had, as with everything, you know, try it once and you don't have to do it again. Now he never has to do it again and he gets something else when we go to get those. So much like the kids of Everworld, we've been talking about food (laughs) that we want to eat. Oh, yeah. And I could really use a hot dog right now. Um, They uh, uh, also had another couple of great Chicago references. There was, they go down to Navy Pier. um, They they get stuck on the train, the L. um, They go to Charlie Trotter's, which is a famous restaurant in Chicago. And also there's a Go Cubbies reference, which made me laugh because this was the early 2000s when the Cubs had not won a World Series in almost 100 (laughs) years. So Go Cubbies. (laughs) So what's the deal with, Charlie Trotters. Have you been there? Is it a place like everyone goes once in their life? Or like, is it like so out of reach that like only super rich finance people go? Or is it just kind of like a a, like a nice TGI Fridays? I would say it's well, first of all, it's it's closed now. Um, but it's, oh. if, if I remember correctly, it was open when I was a kid and we, we never went there because it was like fancy. It was like, he's a, he was a famous chef. Like white tablecloth. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely like upscale. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, it's pretty upscale. And it was like, I was said, I was so young when we, when we went there, I don't know if it was like wildly expensive, but part of the experience was like, he describes like you don't order at Charlie Trotter's. They give oh, you what they think yeah. you want mm-hmm. um, or like mm-hmm. what's on the menu that night. And it just shows up and you eat it or you don't eat it, but like, there's no choices. Um, and apparently right. it was like, so it was basically like a prefix. But it apparently was amazing. Um, I just remember it being one of those like super fancy places, like maybe not the most expensive place in town, but definitely a like splurge place. I think we went once mm-hmm. when my dad like got a promotion in, you know, 1996 mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh-huh. That does. Yeah. I mean, we were 10 and I'm sure appreciated everything. Sure. That style of meal is my favorite style of meal. Should we talk about the next book, Enter oh, the Enchanted? Real fast, can we talk about, just describe the cover oh, art the for cover. our listeners and our, our cover and our interior. It's got Big H. You want to say his yeah. name again, Gray, please? <laughs> it's uh, it's Huitzilopochtli. Huitzilopochtli. Um, I, the photoshopping on these is just so 20 years ago. It's just... I think they might have the incorrect pyramid here. I think they may have the the Mayan oh. pyramid of the magician there. Yeah. Huh. I that mean, I would not right. be surprised. 
or 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 maybe more like pyramid of the of the foreteller or whatever it's because it's it's rounded it's not like oh no never mind i guess not Mm. but i don't know it doesn't look right i don't know this guy he looks colorful he's like a little stern but i don't get like evil right that's because like, you don't have christopher's ability <laughs> no right but i'm just saying like look he looks kind of like a doll okay but know. look into christopher's eyes does yes. he look evil he does look evil there you yeah, go no, yeah he, okay he... <laughs> i the cover the actual front cover there's like the cover and then the inside cover picture i do love the gold detailing on the covers the picture behind it is like does this god have fins on his head yeah it's feathers oh, feathers but i also oh. misread them as like gills or like aquaman because we've got this blue green looking sort of going on i'd love to hear from people if these covers were ever cool because (laughs) it it looks so obviously photoshopped now but like the latest and greatest video games had sort of like this quality graphics Mm -hmm. in 1999 Right, I, I'm pretty sure this isn't outdated by 1999 standards. No, I would assume. So, not. like, I wonder if it was like, oh, cool, a computer Aztec guy, <laughs> or if it always looked kind of weird. I do just really appreciate how like 90% of what you notice about the cover is the gold because it like really pops. So like there's a gold border around them. Like there's the gold like Everworld symbol or whatever. There's K Applegate and there's Everworld um printed really big so like i i appreciate that like you're just like ah yay gold and then you don't have to look at what's behind it just like some sort of like universe swirly eyes yeah also uh because everworld k applegate and the onk infinity symbol that we talked about last time are in the gold foil i did find it very entertaining that the actual title of the Mm -hmm. book very much fades into the background you can you can barely (laughs) read it in the red at the bottom here like, okay. They're like, we don't like this title. We're going to pretend we forgot to give it a oh, title. Oh, yeah. What was the loss? It says Land of Loss. All the Vikings that died? Blood loss. Blood loss is probably right. Um, I also, guess. I don't know. <laughs> the Aztec land is just a land of tragedy. Land of blood and... loss. <laughs> no, let's, are we ready to pivot into Can prediction territory? cover. Enter the Enchanted. Okay, oh. we're going to get. So, uh. Oh. All of my predictions stand because really nothing new happened in this book. We got maybe no, but we confirmed a your prediction. Information, man. although yeah, do you know what? the whammy, the whammy did seem to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's David replacing Christopher, right? Mm-hmm. And like you did have like there's obviously some history between April and Senna. It yeah. might not be Christopher related, but like that's definitely Senna's used her powers before in a way that April has not approved of. Yeah. Okay, we're looking obviously at the next book. Silver. Wow, it really <laughs> looks like Merlin is wearing like novelty glasses. How do you know that's Merlin? It's- that's Merlin. You can just tell by looking. <laughs> At him. <laughs> hey, uh, my my books in the other room. Can someone hold this up Where to the camera for cap? me? Oh yes, yes. Can you see it? <sighs> yeah. So it's silver. Whoa, that looks like a troll. Oh yeah. Look at the stars on his hat. That's a wizard. He has a wizard hat. Yeah. What's so? His here's the thing. What's in his beard. Photoshop. <laughs> Is it trees? So here's the thing. Merlin. He's on the cover. So far, the two cover characters have been villainous gods so merlin and senna this is kind of what i wanted to get into we do learn that merlin seems to be a player of like whatever contest is going on between the gods in the same way that like loki is and in the same way that senna seems to be and merlin and senna are on opposite sides because senna is like oh crap you guys saw merlin that means he's going to try and kill me or capture me right now so Merlin versus Senna, we don't like Senna, 
dude, does that mean we necessarily like Merlin? I don't I like don't him so far. I think this is an enemy of my enemy situation. Right, but he's on the cover here, so that makes me think we're going to learn a lot of bad stuff about Merlin in this book. We also don't have, like, the inside cover and the outside cover are the same, just that the outside cover has, like, this silver, like, logo and stuff on it. So unlike the last two books, we don't get, like, a scene from the story here to help us yeah, out with our prediction. Budget. Yeah, and, like, so first <laughs> book, we open it up, and Senna is the face on the inside cover. Second book, uh, Christopher's the face on the inside cover. But Merlin is the outside and inside cover of the next book. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see April. So Arthur's going to be around. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. She looks like every girl. It's fine. I will, one thing that Merlin said in when um, Merlin showed up in the or when they they met him in the temple, um, one thing that he says to them um, when he learns that they are looking for Senna, he says, "Never use another man's tools or woman's," which I think is interesting. So mm. I'm wondering if he's gonna yeah if she if they They're are her tools. Senna's yeah. tools if he's gonna try to manipulate them in some way. Um, perhaps to find Senna. Uh, right. Or refrain from doing so. Real fast, what was, what was Merlin doing? Was he... Oh, oh I don't know. Uh, really unclear. Yeah, he, he was, was in, in there. the Aztec temple. Do you think he was... Looking for Senna, maybe? Yeah. So he was just in there. Okay, real fast, what was he doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, some pots, a table, a man. The Vikings. Mm. Okay. He's like looking through urns and stuff. Maybe he's looking for magical stuff. Yeah, particular hearts. Here's my prediction. Here's my prediction for the next book. One of them is going to get in a fight against a knight using Jaleel's pocket knife. All right. I think that if the dragon is not Merlin, David will kill it because Santa called him a dragon slayer in the first book. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, If the dragon literally is Merlin. Really? She was like, she was getting more distasteful as her title. Maybe she liked dragon slayer and she didn't like the later titles. I don't know. Well, I think I think he's going to be a big. You're right. Yeah, he's totally going to kill the dragon. David's going to be a hero to the Everworlders, and Santa's not going to like that because uh, she wants yeah. him to be. Yeah, her hero. So I just would like, as we're predicting this, my favorite part about the book was Jaleel and Senna their showdown at the end, <laughs> um, because right, Senna is like around the fire, all like mysterious and stuff. Yeah. April slaps her, and Senna's just like arrogantly like smirking or whatever. <laughs> uh, Jaleel starts off the questioning. You going to tell us what this is all about, Senna? What all of it is it about? Who can ever answer that? Jaleel was unimpressed. Me too, Jaleel. You can. And you know, I don't want to hear a bunch of metaphysical, who can say BS. So how about you start at the beginning and tell us what you're doing getting snatched off the pier by a mythical wolf and hauled into this alternate universe. Where you ask for simple answers to questions that even the wisest of the wise would, Santa, cut the crap! Jaleel snapped. Um, and then she gives us some okay. other answers. Uh, but then... Uh, April and Senna get into some of their backstory or whatever, and Senna says, uh, or she looks at each of them, holding each of us in turn with her dark stare. If you follow your fate, don't blame me because your path and mine run together. I'm still getting gibberish here, Jaleel said. (laughs) I don't need this Tolkien light, pseudo-profound nonsense. I want more of that. I can go back and find what's-his-name, Merlin. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love Jaleel so much. Uh, you just gotta wait. You gotta wait one more book for him. During during this back and forth, uh, Christopher mentions that he could have kissed Jaleel for this, and I'm like, oh, is that another terrible trope of I say all these horrible things to mask what I'm really feeling? I don't like that. So, mm-hmm, yep. mm-hmm. So, uh, it's an April book next. Like, I have hope. Oops. <clears throat> I hope we find out more about her backstory with Senna, like growing up together. 
Uh, predictions. So what do we think Jaleel's connection is? I think that's the most interesting thing to predict. Because hmm. he's a little cagey about why he showed up, right? Like um, David and Christopher obviously showed up because of Senna. April showed up because, you know, they're related. Yeah. But like Jaleel's kind of like, I don't know. I'm going to jump way out there. I think Jaleel has a connection to Everworld that's not Senna related. Ooh, and I he was drawn it. here because the the barriers between the worlds were very thin. And whatever his uh-huh. true connection was, it was reaching out to him and brought him to the pier. And that he, That's great. Senna has no Love influence it. on him. And therefore, he's not part of her original plan at all. He's going to become an independent power. Love that. I want the kids oh, what to is, split yeah, yeah, yeah. up. I want the kids to split up. I thought we were going to get that when David ran away, <laughs> and I didn't. But yeah. No, 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 even better. So Senna is, presumably she's actually like a human girl, but also an Everworld witch. So I'm going to double down on your theory and say Jaleel is also an Everworld witch. Yeah. So his character crisis is going to be discovering <gasps> he has this in magic his book that he, doesn't that believe he is in. actually like a wizard. Oh my God. But he, he's like, no, there must That's be some perfect. explanations. Uh, also, though, I don't think Senna is a witch. I think Senna's an alien. <gasps> okay. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> she could be both. Uh, or she's the daughter <laughs> of one of the gods, so it's going to be like mm. a, she's a demigod sort of thing. Yeah. And that's yeah. why all the big gods are afraid yeah. of her, and she's in hiding because the god-eating god, didn't know that about him in the first book, uh, uh-huh. is after Senna. All right, well, let's find out what happens next time. Yeah, April book. Enter the Enchanted. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Cut this, but I wrote a short story about Hermes and Medusa having a love story because (gasps) after she got changed, he stopped by her cave to talk about the care and feeding of magical snakes because he has them on his, um, oh my gosh, I knew the name. Caduceus. Yes, he had them on his Caduceus. So it was a love story. (laughs) Hee 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 hee.